0: Frederick Wells discovered something that amazed him. He was in the mine for a long time now, and he was looking for some precious jewels, perhaps even a diamond or two. It's late in the afternoon, nineteen oh five, and Mister Wells, he looked, he looked again. He thought one of my one of my buddies is playing a trick on me. There is no stone quite like this. He thought somebody had literally placed a piece of glass embedded in the rock there, but it was no piece of glass. Frederick Wells had stumbled upon the largest diamond in the world, 3,106 carats. Ladies, you may have a big diamond, but let me tell you something. That diamond weighed one pound and one-third ounce. Well, what do you do with a diamond like that? Well, in 1905, they decided to cut it, and they did. In fact, the largest stone cut from the Cullinan, that's what they called it, was today known as the Star of Africa. And it's just a mere 530 carats. Sorry, it's not quite as big. 530 carats, beautiful diamond, placed within the royal scepter in the tower there of London, England, among the, the crown jewels. A diamond. Just think about it. In all of its brilliance, in all of its beauty, that costly gem, that stone. A few weeks ago, I compared the name of God with with looking at a diamond. And I want to do that again. Think with me for just a moment. God is one. He is the one triune, awesome God of the universe. Created everything. Revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the Word of God, we read all of this. And yet this God... He desires for us, He longs for us to know Him, to be in intimate fellowship with Him. Someone, some great awesome deity, not tucked away there in the cosmos somewhere, but a deity, an awesome God, manifest and revealing Himself. Yes, He is transcendent. He is above and He's awesome, but He's also very eminent. He's also very kind and loving and gentle, and He reveals Himself. And the way He does this is He reveals Himself by giving us His name. Last week, we looked at the name of God, Elohim, which means Creator God and Covenant Keeper. And today, we have this high honor, the grand privilege, of taking a few minutes and studying this revelatory name, El Elyon. Now, the word El, as I said last week, is used about 250 times in the Old Testament Hebrew. Whenever you see that word El, and you may want to write this down in your margin of your Bible or maybe on your sheet of notes that you're taking, the word El literally means power, might, and majesty. It's in the singular, okay? Elohim is in the plural, which means plurality of majesty, the plurality of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. But when you take the word El and you give it this word, "elyan." Then you have this incredible descriptive name of God known as, I hope you're ready for this, God Most High. Elyon is God, not little bit, not somewhat, but God Most High. This word is used in the Hebrew in some other ways, which I found very interesting. Number one, it's used as among nations. This nation is known as El Elyon Nation. As you were referring perhaps to the Babylonian or the Assyrian Empire in the Old Testament, they were not just a nation, they were nation above all nations or kings. Some king like Nebuchadnezzar or one of the kings of Babylon or one of the kings of Assyria. Or sometimes in Israel's great days, they would have had an El Elyon king, king above all the other earthly kings. But when you come to this word, El Elyon, a descriptive, revelatory name about God, his nature, listen to me carefully, his nature, his characteristics, his attributes, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know him on his terms, that he is the God most high, the holy, awesome, providential, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, ubiquitous, incredible, holy, God above all God's. King above all other kings. Now, El Elyon, we first spot this Hebrew word in Genesis chapter 14. In fact, in the Pentateuch, which is the Old Testament law, the first five books, also known as the Torah, you see this name of God used three different occasions. The first is today. Oh, I'm so honored today, church family. You just don't know how excited, juiced up, jacked up I am to be able to walk you through and unpack this Hebrew word, El Yon. He is God most incredibly, inexorably, awesomely, wonderfully. He is high, and we are His people, and we love you, God. We we worship you here today at Great Hills. We, We just know that you are incredible and awesome, and we're so grateful to study your holy, powerful name. Well, let's read the text. It's in Genesis chapter 14. It is a context of war. The Malu, or the epic that we're going to study today, is one of conflict, war, skirmishes between kings, ancient kings, and city states. Those kings that bow down to Chedorlaomer is his name, and he, he exercises authority over these city states, and five of those city states rebel against the king. Two of the five, by the way, are known as, infamously known, always known now as, Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's pick it up in verse 18, and let's see what happens after the war. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, he brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of El Elion, God Most High. And Melchizedek, blessed Abram. And he said, Blessed be Abram of El Elyon, of God Most High. Now, in apposition, which means he's about to describe this El Elyon God, comma, possessor of heaven and earth. He possesses heaven and earth. Guys, can you wrap your minds around that? And God who created Elohim he possesses, he guards it, he sustains it, he's, he's over it. He's not in it. We're not a bunch of pantheists. He's not in his creation. He is, he is beyond it. He is above it. He possesses it. He owns it, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be El Elyon, God most high, who, now watch this. This is an awesome attribute of the God El Elyon. He has delivered you, Abraham. He has delivered your enemies into your hand and, ah, uh, what? I wonder if some Baptist wrote this in the Bible somewhere. I mean, what does that say? And Abraham gave Melchizedek, the preacher, the pastor, the priest of Elyon, a tithe of only half. Now that's fascinating to me. This is five hundred years before Moses, the Mosaic Law. This is inherent in God's people from the beginning that as El Elyon blesses and as God gives us our sustenance and our governance and our guidance and all that we have, then we in worship and then we in adoration and praise to him, we give at least a tenth of our income, our earnings. Abraham gave a tenth of all that he had. Oh, Where did you find that in the Bible? I just not in the Bible. I don't believe in that tithing, giving stuff. It's in the Bible. What other parts of the Bible that you don't agree with? Just reading. Okay, verse 21. <laughs> just saying. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, and you just take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. Oh, here it is. For the fourth time. I wonder if the writer of Scripture is trying to get our attention. For the fourth time in the Hebrew, El, Yon, God Most High. Now, remember, Possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing, no, from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything, king of Sodom, that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. But, but this one thing I do. The young men, what they have eaten, and the portion of the men who went with them, Anarn, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion for themselves." Father, this is such an awesome passage of Scripture, and I just pray that you would enable me to preach, to teach with passion, Lord, with joy. And, Father, we would listen. Lord, I pray for a very minimum of distractions with children walking around or people having to go to the bathroom and all those things. God, would you please limit that for me? And just please help us, God, to rivet our attention, focus on you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. There are three things I want to look at with you. Number one is to have to do with the conflict. There is a war going on. The war is between Chedorlaomer, who is he's kind of the big guy on campus right now. He's the king of the land in Genesis 14, ruling out over this Canaan area. And Chedolahomer has um, authority over these five city-states. And two of the five, as I mentioned a moment ago, are Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what's interesting to me and how Abram interfaces with Cheddar it goes like this. Early on in Genesis 11 and 12, God says, Abram, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave the comfortable. I want you to leave the known for the uncomfortable and for the unknown. And I want you to go to a land called Canaan. And so Abram was obedient to God. He packed up his house, his belongings, and he marched westward toward Canaan, and he invited somebody to go with him. He had a nephew by the name of, anybody, three-letter word, Lot. And the interesting about Abram, really, Abram and Lot are very interesting characteristics. You could do a fine juxtaposition, a comparison and contrast of these two biblical characters. And by the way, one of them you want to emulate and the other one you don't. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 13, 13 about Lot, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And Lot chose to hang out in Sodom. Now, we today know Sodom and Gomorrah as places of God's punishment because they committed sodomy. Perhaps you've heard that word, sodomites. They committed uh, sexual deviancies and immoralities, and they, and, they, and they did things that were displeasing to God. And, and by the way, Lot knew that. Hello? Lot knew that. And Abram came to his nephew, and he said, "'Nephew, look, God has blessed us enormously. "'And what I want you to do is I, I want you to take your, your clan, "'your tribe, your people, and you go in one direction, "'and then I will go in the opposite direction. "'And, Lot, I'm telling you, it don't matter. "'You choose what you want to choose, "'and I'll just take the rest, a humble, godly Abram.' And Lot said, "'Hmm, let me think about it. "'Okay, I thought about it. I want Sodom.'" And I can just see Abram's heart breaking going, "'Oh, but, Lot, do you understand what you're doing?' you're choosing a place that is unhealthy. You're choosing a place that the wrath of God is probably going to be poured out. Are you sure you want to do this? Don't don't talk to me like that, Abram. I know what I'm doing. I'm a big boy now. And so he did, and he went to Sodom. And the Bible says that Abram chose Hebron. And there, in Genesis 13, 18, he built an altar to the Lord. What a great I mean, in the midst of this conflict of war of kings against other kings and city-states and rebellion and taxes and so forth, you have this little microcosm of biography going on, and I don't want you to miss this, because you today are going to resonate and relate either to Abram or to Lot. You really will. And you're going to resemble more the king of Salem or perhaps the king of Sodom. You really will. I read one writer, and I love this statement that he said. Uh, Dr. Hemphill writes... Lot chose impetuously what appeared to be a fertile valley without regard to God. Are you listening, young people, especially? He chose impetuously without regard to God or God's purposes or the potential impact of sin. I can imagine Lot's going, ooh, sexy. Wow! Man, that MTV's going on strong over in Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, it's going on strong. Let I me mean, man, he was just drawn to it. He was just attracted to it because it was very sensual. It was very appealing. It was very tantalizing. And he bought into it, and he, and he goes in with Sodom and with Gomorrah. Can I just interject in the midst of a message about El Yon and a message about conflict and war? Can I just offer a word to us a moment? Some of you are contemplating weighty, prodigious decisions in who you will marry. Come on. Can it get any bigger than that? Who will God lead you to link your life with for the rest of your days on planet Earth? Yeah, man, Brother Danny, I am a looking and looking hard. And you say, yes, sir, I am looking and looking hard, and I'm looking for the most sexy babe on the planet. Be careful. That's, that's what Lot would do. Man, she's just got to be beautiful and sexy, and that's what the world tells me. Man, that's what I'm wanting, and I can't wait till she comes into my life. Well, what if God leads you to And she's not all that. You say, well, I know God wouldn't lead me. What? What do you base your decisions upon? The, the, what is beautiful in the eyes of the world? Or do you base your decisions on what is right, what is godly, what is pure? What is God leading you to do? Hey, listen, guys. It's just a word. It's just a warning. Be careful in making commitments and decisions based on attraction, good looks, physical eyes. Where are you going to go to school? What would God say? Is God going to lead you to plant your life in a secular university so that you might be a light and a bold blessing to those on the campus? Then go do it. Where's God going to lead you somewhere else? Then go do it. Listen, guys, we all have got choices to make. We've got decisions we've got to make, and I'm just this one little preacher up here waving the placard, waving the sign, saying, "Don't choose the easy. Don't choose the sexy. Don't choose the Sodom. Choose what God wants you to choose." Like Rebecca Naylor did. Rebecca Naylor is an amazing woman of God. MD from Vanderbilt Medical School gifted surgeon could practice medicine anywhere in America. She says, well, thanks, but I think I'll go to India, Bangalore, India. And she poured her life there in service in surgery in ministry, and ministry and taking a modicum, I mean a tiny, modest income. You say, why would anybody in their right mind do something like that? Hey, listen, sometimes God just leads you to do stuff like that, and that's okay, if God is in it and God's directing you and He's leading you, I could say a whole lot more about that, but back to Chedorlaomer. Amen. Next time we have baby dedication, I wonder if anybody will name their child. I don't think so. Chedorlaomer and the fight with the city states, Sodom and Gomorrah. In this context, in this Malu, is where you start to see these characters start to develop. Point number two is character development. I want us to take just a few moments, and we're kind of ramping up. We're getting ready to study the preeminent character of the pericope. The pericope is the narrative, that portion of sacred Scripture. In this case, it's 17 through 24. It's one unit of thought, and we're going to look at it, analyze it, and emanating, look, 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 guys, just erupting out of the narrative are these interesting, dynamic characters. One of them is the king of Sodom. King of Sodom, where art thou? Listen to him. In 1410, it tells us, Now the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Are y'all listening? They fled. Some fell there, and and the remainder fled to the mountains. The war is going on. It's conflict and a battle. Where are the kings? Are they leading out in battle? No. They are cowardly They are fickle, they are frail, and Sodom and Gomorrah, the kings, are representing really who they are in essence, and they flee, and they're just in trepidation. Oh, I'm so fearful, I'm so scared of Chedolome, he's coming to kill us all. But why don't you get out there and fight for your people? They couldn't do that. They don't have substance. They got sexiness, but don't have substance. Okay, don't have substance to them. And you and I would say cool story what's the next story but there's one little vignette of a verse there's one little key verse I want to show it to you in verse 12 this is so neat it, it just unleashes unpacks for us the rest of the chapter they Chedolahomer and his boys the gang they took Lot excuse me Abram's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom took his goods and departed. Now, it's very interesting because you and I would never even hear about this Chetola Homer and these guys had they not taken Lot. And the reason they took Lot is because Lot was where he was not supposed to be and he, he suffered the consequence. Are you, are you with me today? When you're in places you should not be, there's a price to be paid. There will be consequences for your volitional choices, right and wrong. Just mark it down. He was where he was, should not have been, and, and he's taken in captivity. But bless his soul, he's got a good uncle. All right, Some of you got rich uncles? He's got Abraham. And Abraham says, come on, boys. We're going to go and fight against Homer, and we're going to whoop him. We're going to wipe him out because they got my boy. They got Lot. You so say, well, you know what, Brother Dan? Lot just don't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that grace. He made his bed. He ought to lie in it. And he just ought to fry, baby, fry. I mean, he's just got himself in trouble. Just let him stay there. Oh, let me tell you something, guys. What? A picture of God's grace. We are Lot. We are sinful. We are the ones who've made our bed of immorality, and we've laid in it, and we've slept in it, and we deserve what we get. We deserve the diseases. We deserve the crimes we, we come upon our bodies. We deserve to die and go to hell, buddy. Let me tell you something. That's what I deserve. I know my dastardly, wicked deeds that I have committed before a holy God. And I deserve to be punished and go to hell for what I did in front of God and in his face. But God's grace in Jesus Christ his only son reached down in the muck and the mire and the pit that I was in, and he raised me up. He washed me clean in the blood of Jesus. He raised me up, and this old lot had a far greater friend than Abraham. I have the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a picture of God's amazing, adoring grace? And so Abraham says, let's go get him. Let's go get Lot, and they ooh, they did, and defeated Chedorlaomer soundly. Now we're at our text. After the battle is won, here comes the king of Sodom. Hey, everybody! He comes out of the pit. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Woo, Abram, way to go, man. Way to whip old Chetola Homer. And where, where were you the whole time? Well, I was in the pit, man. I was scared for my life. And, and watch him, though. He's a very interesting guy. He comes out of the pit and he starts making demands. (laughs) He starts telling Abraham what you're supposed to do. He is cowardly, immoral, fleeing the battle, and yet when everything is settled. Do y'all know anybody like that? I do. I mean, when the chips are down, and man, you need a friend, you need somebody to stand by your side. They're like, let me go back to my cave. Hey. You know, I'm just hiding out. Now come on out of there, man, I'm, I'm standing, I need help, and he doesn't. But when the battle's been won, oh, he's a brave general now, now he comes out, and he comes out making demands upon Abraham. That's one king. Let me talk to you about the other king. His name is Melchizedek. Interesting figure. Fascinating individual, mysterious figure. Melchizedek comes as the king of Salem. Oh, look at that, verse eighteen. He brings bread and wine. He comes out with a gift, saying, "Way to go, Abraham man." We don't read about Sodom coming out giving bread and wine and gifts and blessings. He just comes out making demands. People like that bother me. How are you doing, Pastor? Oh, let me tell you something. This is what you need to be doing. Let me know. Well, excuse me. How about some blessings? <laughs> you know, how about, how you doing, preacher? God bless you. Kind of pray for you? And that's just the way it is. Our actions and behavior are commensurate either with the king of Sodom or the king of Salem. Salemites do like Melchizedek. He comes out. He's priest of God Most High. Fascinating figure. Psalm 110 verse 4 says that the Messiah will forever be linked to the priesthood of not the Levitical or the Aaronic, but the priesthood of Melchizedek, Hebrews. Chapter 7, verses, about the whole chapter relates to the Messiah back to this guy, Melchizedek. Who is this guy? Kaputh, he comes and he leaves. has no lineage, has no heritage. Boom, he's there. Boom, he's not. Scholars believe one of two things. I'm going to give them to you real quick. Number one, they believe that this is a type of Christ. This is a literal king, a physical king, and he, in his lifestyle, and his ministry, he reflects the coming one, the Messiah. Some scholars take it a little bit further than what I'm comfortable with, and they say that it is Christ. It is a... Christophany, it is the pre-incarnate, the second person of the Godhead, and he comes and sometimes as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, here he is as Melchizedek. I mean, really, there are some good godly scholars who believe that because Melchizedek, can I just say it like this? He's the deal. He comes out and he blesses Abram. One writer puts it like this, and I love this little little thought. Say with me. The Son of God because he is eternal, could be in reality what Melchizedek could only be as a type. Thus, if Abraham would bring tithes to an earthly king, Melchizedek, how much more should we present our tithes to the heavenly king, Jesus? End of quote. Wow. I mean, Melchizedek comes out, and he's like, way to go, Abraham. God bless you. And he gives him, he gives him offerings, you know, bread and wine. And I can just see Abraham going, oh, King Melchizedek. And he bows down, and he goes, here is a tithe. Here is a tenth of all that I have earned and gained. And I freely and I willingly give it to you in honor to God and in honor of you. Bless you, Melchizedek. And I'm going, wow, if he can do that for an Old Testament priest, surely I can do that for Jesus Christ. Make sure I understand you, Brother Danny. Are you saying that like 10%, like a tie? A tie of all that I earned and I work? You know, I'm supposed to give. How in the world do you expect me to live on 90% if I give God? Hey, I didn't say it. God said it. And I'm just going to do it. I do that. And I want you all to know, guys. I'm no Abraham, I'm no Melchizedek, but I know this. I know El Yon almighty God. He possesses heaven and earth, and I cannot even begin to tell you what he has protected me from, medical bills, all preserved me from, because I give him a tenth and then some. So we've got conflict. We've got characters, king of Sodom, king of Salem, and now we've got the preeminent character, number three, The primary character and the central truth of what we're going to look at today is El Elyon, God Most High, and I want to share with you three things that are very, very important about him, about his nature. Stay with me. His characteristics, his attributes. Hey, guys, why do I even teach you this? Why do I spend all these hours upon multiplied hours and hours studying and reading and typing and researching so that I can get up here and just and just say, hello, how y'all doing? No, 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 guys, I want you to know him. I want you to know this God cognitively, intellectually. I want you to know him. But more than that, I want him to reign in your life so that you're so in love with him and you passionately adore him and know him so that in every extremity of life, you will be reminded of how awesome he is and that God would manifest his great glory and power in your life. That's, I'm so zealous for that. I'm so jealous for that. That gets me up every morning and it gives me such joy and, and, and great happiness and peace so that I might be able to share with you these truths about El Elion. Number one is a theological truth. In the text it says, He is God most high. Four times it says, He is not God somewhat high, but He is God, God above all gods, King. Above all kings, friends, let me tell you something. You think Austin, Texas is polytheistic and pluralistic and hedonistic and secular and naturalistic? Friend, let me tell you something. On a scale from 1 to 10, if we're a 5, Canaan was a 50. You, you, You cannot imagine the theological eruption, the volcanic ash that spewed in the air when these men come on the scene and say, wait a minute, there is one God. He is El Elyon. He is Jehovah God. He is God of all gods. He's king of all kings. And this mysterious Melchizedek dude, somehow he's related to him and he's his priest and he loves him. You ought to listen to him. Listen to this scripture in Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name. Your name, we give you glory. Thank you, Brother Terry. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name, you all hear it? Just a minute ago. It's a shelter like no other, because nothing has the power to save. But his name, not to us, O God, but to your name, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Mm, 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 keep reading. Why should the Gentiles say, "So where is their God?" I'm so tired of people in Austin saying, "Where's your God?" I mean, you go to that church and you, "Where is God?" When you really, I just say today, our God reigns brothers and sisters he reigns high (laughs) above the heavens he is king of kings he is lord of lords so you ask me where is your god thank you for asking my brother he is in the heavens above he is el elion most high god that's a theological statement if i'm saying he's most high that means that everybody else is not ouch where's your god he's in heaven where's yours Well, well, he tells us. Keep reading. He does whatever he pleases. Watch this. Oh, there's your God. Interesting. (laughs) There's your little trinket, your idols, your silver and your gold. Who made them? Well, I did. Oh, okay. Well, do they speak? Oh, they got a mouth. Look at him. What does he say? He didn't say nothing. Why? Because I made him. (laughs) What about seeing? Is he omniscient? Is he the ubiquitous God above all gods? Can he see all things? Uh, Nope. He's got eyes, but they really can't see. Okay, so I see the difference. But let me tell you about my God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any. Other. Our God is healer. He's awesome in power. Our God, that's right, Chris Tomlin. Our God, yeah, that's our God. He's not one of the pamby manby polytheistic pluralist gods that I make in my image. Nope, He's El Elyon, God Most High, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Look at this. Look at this nomenclature. He possesses it all. He made you. He made it. And both Abraham and Melchizedek say, Possessor of heaven and earth. That is a theological, bold, brash theological statement. It Sounds something like John 14, 6 when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not inclusive, it's exclusive. It's not pluralistic. It's based on conviction. In a culture, in a Malu where conviction now is vice and tolerance is king, <laughs> it was king mama, papa back in Abraham's day. And to make such a... Hey, let me ask you all something, guys. You all all right? If Jesus could say it in his day, and Abraham and Melchizedek could say it in their day then why can't we say it in our day? It's not, where is the God of Melchizedek? Oh, where's the God of Peter, James, and John? Oh, where are you, God? That's the wrong question. Where are the Melchizedeks of God? Where are the Peter, James, and Johns of Christ? Where are the ladies, the Marys, and the Ruths, and the Elizabeths, and the Hannahs of God? Listen, if our lives were commensurate with this lofty, eloquent theology, what an awesome difference we would make in Austin, Texas. I'll tell you what people are looking for, guys. They're looking for real. They're looking, Brother Taylor, for genuineness, authenticity. They're looking, Kyle, they're looking to see, do you really believe this? Do you really believe this? And if you do, then why don't you live like it? Well, brother, I can't even tie. You lost me on the tithe. I, I tell you, I can't, I can't. I just, well, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'll go broke, brother David. I just, I just can't. Yes, you can. If you can't do that, then start somewhere. How about that? Let's live in such a way that people are not drawn and attracted to us, but they'll look at us and say, who is your God? And we'll say he's LL Yon. Now they'll say, what? you just throw some Hebrew down on me? Yep, I did. What does that mean? He's God most high. Number two, that's a missiological statement. If we really believe this, then missional missions are intrinsically, inherently, inextricably interwoven with such a dogmatic theological statement. If he is God most high, if he is all of this, and why don't we tell people about him? Is he? Then when's the last time you invited anybody to your church? Is he? And when's the last time you just took somebody to God in prayer and prayed for them? Is he? Is he God most high? Is he going to judge people that, that never accept him? They don't know? Yes. Guys, we live in a great day of grace. Grace an age of a dispensation of mercy and grace, but it's coming to a close. Did you know that? There's coming a day where Psalm 2 is going to happen, and it says, "'Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, "'and you will perish in the way, "'and when His wrath is kindled but a little, "'but blessed are you.'" Look, age of grace. "'Blessed are those who put their trust in Him, "'El Jan's eternal Son, "'Jesus Christ with a tattoo on His thigh.'" King of kings, Lord of lords, sword protruding out of his mouth. He reigns and he comes down. He comes down in the great tribulation and his mouth goes out like a sharp sword and he strikes the nations and he reigns, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to mistake his name. It's not Confucius and it's not Buddha and his show ain't Joseph Smith. His name is JC, brother. It's Jesus Christ. Believe me, he is coming to reign that's a missiological statement. If He's coming to reign, you better get to know Him. It motivates me. It motivates me like it motivated Peter in Acts four twelve again. In a pantheon of pluralism and paganism, and many listen in Athens alone, there was a god for every man. <laughs> Sound like Austin? And we got more gods and goddesses and the plurality and the pantheon and all these things and ways. And Peter said, there's salvation in nobody else. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved except this name, this God, Eloion, who gave us his Son, Spirit of God who comes from heaven and inhabits his people so that we would do what? Get into a holy huddle and high five. Whoa, man, what's going on? Our church is fun and nope. No, 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 brothers and sisters. We don't just get in a holy huddle. In Jesus' name, we go, ready. Somebody help me. What do you do in a huddle, huh? Ready, break. Get out there. You ever look at, next time I watch football, I'm gonna go watch and say, I wonder if they stay in the huddle all day. <laughs> you know, the center and the quarterback and the, how are you guys doing? <laughs> I'm good, how are you doing? I'm not. I okay, 80,000 people out there waiting to see what we're going to do. Don't you think we ought to get out there and throw the ball? I don't know. Let's just stay 60 minutes in here. People will be going, you crazy? Get out there and play football. I wonder if God does that to us sometimes. Hello? Get out there. There's a world dying and going to hell, and you say you know me, then boop, get out there. Go, go tell them. That just was a gentle kick from God. Amen. Get out there. One last thing is a, ooh, no, can't go that fast. Listen to this statement. And by the way, I'm reading this book right now, and it's messing me up. It's, it's on. It's, it's strong as goat's breath. Strong theology. And it's, oh, Brother Kyle, it's, it's getting me. Here's a quote from this book called Radical. We have unnecessarily and unbiblically drawn a line of distinction, assigning the obligations of Christianity to a few while keeping all the privileges of Christianity for us. Every every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell, El, el yon. God Almighty, High, lofty, preeminent God. It's a theological truth. That is a missiological truth, but it's also a providential truth. And I'm going to close with this statement. It's plural. I close with the statements. Did y'all hear it? Possessor of heaven and earth that speaks to me of providence speaks to me of governance it speaks to me of sovereignty young people listen to this listen to this quote i've came across if god can make the heaven and the earth he can take care of you why do we struggle when we choose a mate somebody we're going to marry why do we get so worried Why do we struggle to trust God with our children? Why do we struggle to trust God when our children go to college? Why do we struggle to trust God with our money? Oh, people, listen, the God of creation can provide all the resources to enable us to live victoriously, end of quote. A few years ago, I first started studying God's name. I don't know if I've told you all this or not, but it it radically changed my life. Every day in my life, I wake up and I repeat these names, all of these names to God in prayer. You're like, Brother Danny, that's crazy. When do you do that? Man, 183, it'd take you about 18 hours to get to work sometimes. You know, I'm just sitting there in a car. I bet people drive by me and they go, what is that guy doing? I'm saying, Elohim, you are the creator God of the universe. And you are El Elyon, you are God most high and I sure do love you. And I sure do thank you for taking care of me. You are Yahweh and I keep I keep going. When I first started studying this, I you know, I'm studying the Hebrew and I'm getting into it and I'm fired up, and ready to preach on El Elyon and there's a lady in the church that I'm serving at the time named Ann. Ann is a king of Salem gal. Are y'all okay? Brother Danny said, Ann's a king of Sodom lady. And you'll go, boo, hiss. We don't, we don't know. We don't want that. Always blessing me. Always. Brother Danny, how are you doing? God bless you. Bless your family. Thank you for preaching God's word. How can I help you? What can I? Her and Bill. I mean, I think they were connected at the hip. When you saw Ann, you saw Bill. They were just like. They, just, they, they went everywhere together. I mean, they just, I was just, like, they're so cute. They're all, they're, both of them are about five foot tall, five foot and five four. And Bill one day went to be with Jesus. And I'm telling you, Ann, it was so heartbreaking. She was so, she felt so alone. And she'd still come up to me, how you doing, Pastor? God bless you. And I said, how you doing, Miss Ann? I just want you to know I love you. I miss Bill so much. I cannot even compare to what you miss him and but one day she said, Pastor, I just want to tell you something. She said, I can't do this no more. She says, it's just too hard. She said, I just got some terrible news. That I, I told God, I said, God, time out, I can't do this no more. Have y'all ever gotten there? Hey, if you haven't, then live a little longer. And you will. She said, Pastor, my oldest daughter has been diagnosed with muscular sclerosis and, or multiple sclerosis. And she said, I, I can't handle this. She said, I just want you to know, I, I don't think I can handle this. I'm a good pastor. It's going to be okay, Miss Ann. God bless you. You know how we do us little pious platitudes, little preachers that way we are. God bless you, Miss Ann. God did something. Now, y'all don't think me too freaky or too mystical or spiritual, and but what I'm about to tell you is, it's out there. Okay? I didn't see it coming. He's so, he's so awesome. I saw Ed a few days later. She came up to me, Pastor. Oh, you wouldn't believe. God has done a miracle. She said, I talked to my daughter. She went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I have got wonderful news for you. You have the least severe case of MS. You'll have a few residual issues, but you are going to be okay. And I promise you, this is what God did to me. He said three words, and I almost fell over in adoration, and I almost collapsed. He said these words. That was me. That was me. I touched her. I healed her. I am Hele of I am the most high God. Let me tell you something, friends, that's who he is. In his sovereignty, he doesn't always choose to heal us of our MS. Or our AIDS or our cancer or our heart disease or our broken marriages. He doesn't always answer that weapon tell you something. Sometimes he, he does. Can I just plead with you for a moment? I know it's twelve thirty. Amen. You're hungry. What's new? You know? What do do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? If not, why don't you call upon his name today and say, God most high, you're king of all kings, Lord of all lords, and I humble myself before you today and I receive your son as my savior and I give you my life. Why don't you do that today? Some of you know him. And here we are at Great Hills and and we're asking, we're pleading, if y'all just could see my prayer life for just a little bit. This week I have been pleading, just begging God for this church. God, I I think he's up to something. I believe God is stirring, and and, and pastors Kyle and Mark and Terry and the rest of you guys, Chad, we may get a little smaller before we get bigger. Okay? We may go from this to this. But I'm okay with that. Because I'm here to preach his word and praise his name in love and love him with passion, let the chips fall where they may. But you know what, guys? I would rather have this and ready and on fire and moving for God than this and us be flabby and spiritually obese and not making a dent in the darkness. Anybody in this? You want to, you want to be a part of this church? Some, some of you Some of you do. Well, I encourage you. Why don't you come be a part of our church? You say, well, how do you do that? It's hard. You said, why makes it so hard? Well, the first thing, you got to go through a new members class to even join the church. You say, That's the most ridiculous thing i ever heard in my life. I don't have to go through a new membership. Yes, you do. Well, why? What are you going to teach me? What are you going to tell me? We're going to tell you what it means to be a part of our church. If you know Christ and you've been baptized, you go through our class, then we'll pull you... You say, why ain't y'all been presenting people? Why ain't people coming for and presenting them so we can all ooh shout? Because I'm making it harder. Have you lost your mind? You don't make church hard. Yes, we do. Because we're going to make it harder and more difficult so that when you come, you know what you're getting into. And so you say, well, okay, I'm, these, these guys are really serious. And then we'll see God do some awesome things. I pray. I pray. But the first step is you'll just come. If you want to join the church, you just come. Get one of these preachers by the hand and we'll help you process it. Then you can come. We'll present you. You are God of all gods, king of all kings. I love him. I just want you to know him. If you don't, why don't you you just call out to him today? Say, oh, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to serve you. I want to know you. Father in heaven, we stand in your presence. Lord, we want you to be pleased. We want to bring you honor. And as we sing in a moment, God, some of us just need to give our hearts over to you totally, Lord, unequivocally to quit holding back on parts of our finances, parts of our, uh, our, our lives, our personal lives, Lord, even our sexual lives, God, holding out on you. Oh, God, redeem us. Help us to give you our all so that we are pure and holy and walking with you. God, please help us not make us mean. God, help us make us more like you. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Stand to your feet. God bless you. Thank you. Brother Terry, you lead us as we come.